Amen. Amen. It is good to be together. This is such a great way to start a new year. How about, tell me this, this is the audience participation part of the service. If you were one of those who made it to midnight or later last night, just give me a shout. If you were, if you were like me and in bed by 10, give me a shout. All right, now I know, now I know how we're doing. That's why we feel, that's why a lot of us feel so rested today. There it is, right? Well, fantastic. Where it's good to be together. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, find Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Taking a break, we've been going verse by verse, section by section through the book of Exodus. And we are going to get back into Exodus next week. But thought with the new year, we would focus ourselves in on the theme of being rooted the theme of being rooted together, Psalm chapter 1. And let me say before we dive into the text, there are often a lot of times in church life where you feel like you've got to choose between A position or B position when really both of them uh, have some truth to them. That We're often given these false dichotomies, these things that are opposed to one another that really both of them are things that we should embrace. I often give... This example here, we often talk about how there's churches that put an emphasis on being spirit-led, right? And they're all about worship and the spirit and expression, and that's great. And they sort of put those over against churches that are more word-centered, focused in on teaching the Bible and doctrine and truth. And, and as I've often said here, why should we make enemies what God made friends, Right? The Spirit was the one who inspired the authors of the Bible. We can be serious about both the Bible and the Spirit. We don't have to choose between them. I often think in church life, though, there's another dichotomy where where churches feel like they have to choose between reaching people or going deeper. They have to choose between reaching wide or going deep. And and I don't really think that that is a a good way to think about church life. Because there's some that will think, well, let's just reach people, reach people, reach people, reach people. But then everybody's about a mile wide and about an inch deep, right? But then there's churches that are so focused on having their buffet of deep Bible teaching that they let their neighbor starve, right? They're just like, I'm just going to feed myself and go deep in this. But I believe the Bible shouldn't have us choose between them. In fact, the Bible describes the church and our own individual lives like a tree. And healthy trees have roots, like what you see on that photo up there, right? They go both deep and wide. In fact, healthy roots need to go both directions because if they are not both deep and wide, friends, one little pull or one little wind, one little trial, and it's all just out and out of the ground, and dead on the ground. And would we say that our lives and our church are rooted both deep and wide? That's what we need to think about this new year. As as the new year arrives, we're given a chance to reinforce the roots of our faith. And the word of God has not left us to garden our souls alone. We need to be rooted in God's word with roots that go deep, and wide. And Psalm 1 is a song likely written by King David, and here's the main point that he would have for us. We are meant to be deeply rooted in God's word. So let's look together at the invitation of Psalm chapter 1 and let's read this psalm together. Psalm chapter 1 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God. There's something about the first song, right? It sets the tone for the rest of the concert, the rest of the album, even the rest of the road trip, right? There's something about the first song. And Psalm 1 opens the Psalter. Think of this as God's songbook, God's playlist with 150 tracks. And it is meant to form the foundation of our whole soundtrack of faith. Through the mountains and the valleys of the Psalms, and if you read through the Psalms, you'll see they go up down, up, down. They got songs for good times, songs for bad times, songs for everything in between. Ultimately, that Psalm 1 is foundational for all of them. In fact, Psalm 1 describes us, describes for us the blessed man, a man with God's favor, living in accordance with God's word, experiencing God's joy and contentment. And he says, he is like a tree Firmly planted. Think of a giant oak tree, the biggest, firmest tree you've ever seen that's rooted, standing strong and tall in the soil of God's word. But we've got to be careful not to read terms like blessing and prosper in our American context. We've got to be careful because, friends, you can be the blessed man in Psalm 1 and still be broke. You can be the blessed man in Psalm chapter 1 and still have lots of troubles and lots of problems. I don't necessarily think the blessed man in Psalm chapter 1, remember, this is David writing this. David had some wacky family he saw at the holidays, didn't he? (laughs) Right? A deeply rooted faith still experiences storms and snow in their life, right? Right? And so, friends, Psalm chapter 1 provides us four ways that we're to be deeply rooted in God's word. Regardless of our circumstance, regardless of where this new year finds us, it's an invitation to do these four things so that we might be deeply rooted in God's word. Let's first see, Psalm chapter 1 encourages us to first listen and believe. To listen and believe. Look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Notice he starts with the negative. He says, here's what it is to be blessed, firmly rooted. Here's what you're to not do. You're not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Psalm 1 starts by asking us, who are you listening to and how are you listening to them? He's having you consider, are we going to believe and listen to God's word or to the world's opinions? Now, he isn't telling you that you're never going to be around people who are lost. Because, friends, if that's the case, you might as well just get out of the world, right? But God is calling us to consider who has our ear. We all know folks, close friends, 
maybe people in our family who were like, I, I like hanging out with them, but I will never take advice from them. Y'all don't know if, yeah, this is not the time to look around or look at your neighbor, right? <laughs> we all know a person. Maybe we work with somebody who, we're, they've been around the workplace a long time, but, and, and, but you know if you've got a problem, don't ask them, right? They're not going to be much help to you, or they're going to give you the worst possible guidance possible, right? And Psalm 1 says, listen carefully, don't just absorb everything you're told, And I want you to notice the descent that takes place. Look at verse 1 again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Did you see the descent downward is illustrated by someone going further inward, further into influence. He talks about walking to standing to sitting. From walking on the way to standing in the doorway, to sitting at the kitchen table. He says, be careful about walking in the counsel of others. Then he says, don't stand in the way of sinners. And he isn't saying being in the way, like blocking the way of sinners, but rather walking and standing in their same path, following the same way. Then he speaks of not sitting in the seat of scoffers. What started as walking with them now ended with sitting in their chair. Here's the point. What you begin walking with, you end up identifying with. Friends, this is so important in our world today because there are lots of voices coming at every single one of you. I'll even say particularly to our young people, there are all kinds of voices coming at you And let me tell you, if you begin to listen long enough and believe long enough and begin walking with long enough, you will begin identifying with, see the power of influence. Evil is not something you can flirt with. Compromise can be deadly. There's a proverb in the book of Proverbs that says, can a man heap hot coals on his body and not get burned? And the answer, no, (laughs) Don't even play with the hot coals. You will get burned. He says, be careful who you listen to. And particularly, be careful who you listen to in order to trust. He's not talking about listening to others in order to understand their perspective, but listening in order to believe, in order to do, in order to embrace. But good listening with your ears begins with right hearts. Psalm 1, verse 2. Look what he says next. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In order to be rooted in God's word, we need to listen and believe, but we also need to delight and meditate. This is the second point. We've got to delight and meditate. Particularly, he invites us to consider what we love. Do we love God and his word? And notice that delight is at the foundation. And that, friends, delight doesn't simply lead to listening. It leads to meditating on God's word. Consistent delight and love for God's law is what deeply roots us into the ground. Here's the point. We meditate on what we delight in. 
You will always meditate on what you delight in. And meditate in the biblical context is not associated with that we often think about meditate. When people hear meditate, they think of, of a hippie, legs crossed, on a mat, um, right, empty your mind, hum away. No, 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 no. What meditating on God's law is, is actually meant to fill your mind, to chew on it, to digest it, and to let it grow deep. Y'all know when you have a really good meal, how you just want to keep eating it, right? <laughs> you love it, and so you chew on it, right? You meditate on it over and over and over again. Actually, interestingly enough, Psalm chapter 2, I, I'd love if you ever go home, if you go home today, read Psalm chapter 2 in light of Psalm chapter 1, because there's actually a lot of interesting things that David does there. And in Psalm chapter 2, he uses the same word used for meditating to talk about the people who are plotting against God and his people. To slowly and methodically think about God's word and to do so day and night. In other words, do it often and regularly. Be mindful of what fills your mind because there is a connection between your heart and your head. And it's more than just the inches in between them. There is a connection. What you love and what you reflect on, you will, you will come to love even more. Let me illustrate this for you. Married, married folks, you know this. When you were first maybe getting ready to be married, maybe you were engaged. Friends, you loved them, didn't you? And it didn't take much to get your mind running with all kinds of things, right? You just wanted that wedding night to get there so bad. The fire was burning, and that caused you to think about the wedding night till I got there. At least the, the ladies, they might have been thinking about the wedding. The guys, they weren't really worried about the wedding. They were thinking about later on, right? And friends, this is why young dating and engaged couples, you need to watch what you reflect on. Because friends, the mind can be a dangerous place and lead to all kinds of dangerous places. But because you loved and delighted in them, it led to you to meditate. And you had to be careful what you meditated on, right? But now couples that have been married a while, you may feel like that flame's long gone. But friends, that flame's not gone. It simply needs to be reignited. And one of the ways that married couples can ignite the spark is to meditate and think on all the good qualities of their spouse. This is one of the things we learned during our grace marriage groups this last year, where we're to do an eye check and to think about what we're, to, about what we're doing and to meditate on this. Philippians 4.8 was a guiding principle. It says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy or worthy of praise, think about these things. Friends, the mind and the heart are connected. What you meditate on, you will grow to love, and what you love, you will meditate on. It's an endless cycle that happens where one feeds the other. Heart and head are connected. Psalm 111 verse 2 says it this way, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. You see it? Delight leads to study. Delight leads to study, and it leads to the head thinking and meditating. Do you love God consistently? And it says to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What do you meditate on? 
meditating on the law of the Lord day and night, studying the works of God by delighting in them. We listen and believe. We delight and meditate. But Psalm 1's not done, right? It tells us to be deeply rooted. We need to third, apply and do. We need to third, apply and do. The psalm returns to the blessed man. And we see this, verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. You notice he contrasts the way of the word with the way of the world. God's word makes us like trees. And notice the description. Friends, is there any better place for a tree to be than planted besides streams of water? What a great place for a tree to be, right? To produce fruit in its season and to have leaves that do not wither. Do you want to be an evergreen tree? It says, root yourself in God's word. And his point is this, in all he does, he prospers. In other words, he listens, he delights in, he meditates on, and then he lives in light of it. To do it, to labor and seek to build your life upon it. And God caused what he did to prosper because it was done God's way. Did you know that the Bible isn't just any other book? It's the only book where as you read its author, God is reading and working on you. It's the only book where not only can the author talk to you, but he's actually able to reach inside your soul and do work in you. Here's the point. As we read God's word, God produces fruit in us. As we read God's word and we read it with a sense of wanting to apply and do. And he contrasts this with the wicked. Those, again, who are walking in the counsel of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers, those walking in the way of the world. And he says, they are like chaff. Now, I had to Google what chaff was just to make sure I understood it. But it's those little protective shells that are around seeds. And it's used often for livestock fodder or to be burned. In other words, he says, hey, if you want to be a bed for the cows or end up in fire, he says, that's what they're like. And, he, and the powerful contrast, it's emphatic. He says, the wicked are not so. They're not like the tree that prospers, but they are like the chaff that's blown away in the wind. And Jesus illustrates the same truth in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And he closes that sermon with this illustration. Matthew chapter 7, he says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Did you notice the two foundations? Both foundations actually were people who had heard the word. But the foundation that stood firm was the one that actually heard and did. In other words, they hear and they do and they build these deep roots, whereas those who hear the word and don't do it are like chaff. 
easily blown away by the winds and the floods and the waters of life. The house falls and great was its fall. Both could hear, but the one who does is the one who flourishes. Finally, Psalm 1 describes us as we desire to be rooted in God's word. He says, last, we need to learn and discern. We need to learn and discern. In other words, he wants you to do a little math. Not scary math. I think all of us can do the math that the psalmist wants us to do. Learn and discern. Consider the end of the two ways described in the psalm. Look where the song ends. Psalm 1, verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Do you see it? To be known by God is to be loved by him. And it says the way of righteousness is loved by him, but the other way leads to perishing. The other way leads to life, to a congregation of the righteous, to standing on the day of judgment. The word leads to heaven. The way of the world leads to hell. And he says, you need to be willing to learn and discern. Look at the math. Look at how people live. Study where they end up and go, I need to take that to heart. That's why if you, I I say this oftentimes at funerals, every single funeral you've ever attended teaches you a lesson. It shouts to you, this is the way to go or this is not the way to go, but we do not take that to heart. And the end of the psalm is take it to heart how people live. Which way will we go? Will we calculate the end of the two ways to live and act accordingly? Because every life is lived in light of its destination. All of us are living, whether we've explicitly said it or not, we're all living in light of somewhere we think we're going. And where will the, and what, and where's the path that you're on going to end up? What are you rooted in by faith? What fruit is your life producing? And will it bring you to that destination? What you believe is not neutral or irrelevant to where you end up. In fact, let me put it this way. Destiny is downstream from doctrine. That what you believe is going to determine a lot about where you end up. Be careful, think about this. What you believe and do and what you truly, and not simply the, well, I believe it, but I'm not gonna live in light of it. What you believe and live in light of, friends, has a lot to do with where you're going to end up. Learn and discern. Look around, study this. Jesus even says this. John chapter eight, 31 and 32, he says this, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's his point. He says, hey, look at the relationship. Abide in my word and you'll abide in truth and freedom. You know, have you, have you ever seen these things called red letter Bibles? Anybody ever seen those? They've got the words of Jesus in red right, in the New Testament, right? And they're okay. They're, they're not necessarily a bad thing. But let me tell you this. Theologically speaking, if we really wanted a red letter Bible, every single letter of your Bible should be in red. And I thought that when I was a kid. Yeah, there you go. Well, Jesus, 
five, six, you know, yes. Like, why? Yes. There you go. Well, every single part of your Bible is Jesus' word, right? And he says, abide in his words, abide in the Bible, and experience, he says, truth and freedom. And Jesus goes on to speak about the kind of freedom that the word of God brings. Freedom from sin. And it's as if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Because in the word of God, you encounter the one who is called the word of God. You encounter Jesus himself. In fact, let me get you to think about this with me. The blessed man of Psalm 1, in one real sense, is Jesus. None of us will ever truly be the blessed man fully, perfectly in our life, right? None of us are ever perfectly going to abide in this world. But Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm chapter 1. He perfectly lived his life rooted in God's word. And consider this, he didn't walk in the council of sinners, but he did die in the place of them. He didn't walk and sit in the seat of scoffers, but he did sit under the punishment of God due to the sin of the scoffer. And in the word of God, we encounter Jesus and his gospel, his sinless life, his death on the cross for our sins in our place, his resurrection on the third day. And through faith in that message, we have freedom from sin, freedom from sin's penalty, and that we will not die and and experience judgment, but experience everlasting life. Freedom from sin's power as we meditate on the word and on his gospel daily. You know, the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection isn't simply how you get to heaven. It's also how you live in light of heaven. It's something you need to think about. We need to meditate on regularly. And friends, one day the gospel will bring us freedom from sin's very presence when we go home to be with our Savior. Friends, as we are rooted in the Bible, we're rooted in the gospel, and as we're rooted in the gospel, we abide in Jesus, and we experience truth and freedom. Friends, your relationship with the Bible says and is indicative of your relationship with its author, God himself. Think about this. If you never answered the phone or the text messages of your wife, friends, what would that say about you? But friends, God sent you a whole lot more to communicate with you. And many of us just choose to ignore it, to put it aside. To be rooted in the word of God is to be rooted in our relationship with God. But you may ask, okay, what do I need to do in order to be rooted in God's word? What do I need to do in order to be rooted in God's word? How can we grow deep and wide together? There are lots of ways. Let me offer you three as we think about this. First, let's just start simple. In order to be rooted in God's word, you gotta read God's word. You gotta open it up and read it. And friends, if you're curious on a way to kickstart that, we actually have a 90-day Bible reading plan that can help you kickstart your year in the word. We've got paper copies in the back. There's also in the bulletin a way to get it on your phone through the YouVersion Bible app. And once you start it, it'll even send you little reminders to bug you, right? And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. If you do this, I don't want you to, let's say you miss a few days, just go, well, I missed a few days. I just need to throw in the towel. No, 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 no. I want you to do this in order to to get back into the word, to expose us to God's word. And even if you miss a few days, just keep on trekking. Pick up where you left. 
and do it in order to think on and to be exposed to one thing. You don't have to necessarily understand every last thing you read. Friends, let me tell you something. Even the preacher doesn't always understand everything he reads, particularly on his first reading. I know that might shock some people that sometimes it takes me a while to figure out what something means, but it does. I'd encourage you to plant yourself. We've got 90 days in the New Testament, a place where you can start to begin just to read and expose yourself and to be planted and to make the Bible a priority in 2023. So root yourself there. And if we run out of those, let me know and I'll make sure I can get that to you. Second, we need to study the Bible with others. Study the Bible with others. We have small groups that begin Wednesdays, Sundays. They begin this next, this next week here, this upcoming Wednesday night and next Sunday. And they're places where you can study the word of God in community. There's a lot of people who want to hear what the Holy Spirit says to them, but they don't necessarily care what the Holy Spirit might say to them through the person down the pew from them. And that's why we need to read the Bible in community because sometimes we close our ears to what the Spirit might say to us while we read, but man, when it's coming through Jim Bob that sits down the pew from me, I'm going to listen to that. That's spooky when he starts saying something that I've been going through, you know? The best way to study is to be together with other Spirit-empowered believers. And this goes for students, for kids. I'd encourage you to get in a group with a group of believers and study the Word of God together. And finally, third, gather to worship the God of the Word. And some of you may go, that's it? That's so simple. Yes, friends, agriculture is in one sense simple yet miraculous. You plant a seed, you water it, a tree grows. There's nothing magical about it. Yet there is something magical about it, right? It looks mundane, yet it's miraculous. And so your spiritual life is often the same way. Mundane practices of gathering with God's people, of reading God's word, of studying it, God is going to do a miraculous work in you through that. When we come together, the Word of God is meant to be central in everything we do. Have you noticed that? When we come together, people have probably figured it out by now. He's going to read from the Bible. We're going to sing songs that are basically quoting the Bible. We basically sang Psalm 1 this morning, right? He's going to preach from the Bible. And then we're going to practice the Lord's Supper and baptism, and we're going to have a visual representation of what the Bible's about, right? You're going to sing the word, hear the word, preach the word, and see the word together. Friends, this is what God's program for discipleship looks like. This is what God's program for discipleship looks like in our life, to make us more like him, to make the word central in all that we do so that we might be rooted in God's word, so that we might know the truth and in the truth be set free indeed. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And here's how we typically, we celebrate the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month. We do this because in, in, the, in 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about as often as you do this, which I think means we should do it at least somewhat often, right? And the Lord's Supper is a visual representation. It really represents the same thing the baptism we saw did, Right? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The bread, Jesus' body. The cup, his blood. And so here's what I normally tell folks with the Lord's Supper. If you are 
a follower of Jesus who's followed him in, in baptism, you are welcome to partake. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a meal that we take together as his people. But today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're a little unsure of where you stand with him, I would encourage you to just let the elements pass you by, no judgment here, and use this as a time to look and to see, to look and to discern, to just consider not simply the sermon that was shared today, but the second sermon that we see in God's word. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take some time just to sit and reflect as the cup and the bread are passed to us, and we're going to hang on to them. We're going to hear a brief reflection, and then we are going to partake together. So let's sit, and let's prepare our hearts, take the Lord's Supper, and let's pray together. Father God, we are thankful that you have given us a means by which we can be fruitful trees by streams of living water. You've given us a means by which we can know you, love you, serve you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give our hearts a hunger to delight in your word, to meditate upon it, to however that's best done, whether through a reading plan, through our own reading and study, whatever it is that we would come to grow roots that are both deep and wide. That as we read the word, it not only takes us into deeper relationship with you, but it will overflow in fruit and in service and in conversation to others. And Lord God, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper in these next few moments, I pray you would prepare our hearts as we would reflect in our minds and meditate on your gospel, that you sent your son into the world to die for our sins, to rise on the third day so that through faith in him we might have everlasting life that we might meditate in order to delight. Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing among us and draw us closer to abide in you. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
you met Alexi and encouraged me this week to go, hey, I just have something I want to share. And man, it's almost like the Lord's working on all of us at the same time, right? Because <laughs> he is, and his grace is sufficient for us. And that's one of the things we remember in the Lord's Supper together. 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he says this, For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. A second sermon in picture form for us as we await the coming of the Lord, whether it be in this next coming year or whether it be hundreds of years from now, we wait in eager expectation. And I close this service now as we begin and go out into a new year empowered by sufficient grace and the power of God's word. Here are the last verses of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.